not sure the first time that I heard the title CMO, but I do know the first time I was inspired by it. It was when I was sent a blog post about the many different types of CMOs and how a marketing leader could be most successful by harnessing their superpowers and hiring incredible people around them to reach maximum potential as a team and as a brand. Come to find out, that's a lesson that's absolutely not only true for CMOs, but for CEOs and other marketing leaders and other leaders as well. Welcome to Casting a Vision. I'm your host, Lindsay Chepkema. I'm a B2B marketer turned first-time CEO and founder at a marketing technology SaaS startup called Casted. If I've learned anything in this new role, it's that it's unique. There really is nothing like it. It's all about getting incredibly, I mean like incredibly comfortable being uncomfortable and staying confident in the midst of uncertainty. And the best way that I found to do that is learning from others who have done it all before. So back to that blog post that really inspired me as a marketing leader and still encourages me today as a CEO. That post was written by Tim Kopp. He was CMO of Exact Target. And as it grew from startup to SaaS unicorn and went public and then got acquired by Salesforce for well over $2 billion, Tim was there. And he went on to become a venture capitalist where he still invests and advises today at Hyde Park Venture Partners. But most recently, he stepped into the role of CEO of Terminus. And as you'll hear in our conversation, Tim has been someone that I have looked up to for years. I've looked to him for wisdom as a marketer and now today as a founder and CEO. And although I have never worked for him, he inspires me and our conversations always leave me feeling encouraged and motivated and ready to go bigger. So watch our chat today and I think that you will leave feeling the same way. So Tim. Thank you for joining me on the show. I'm really appreciative. I'm very glad you're here and I'm excited to talk with you. Oh my gosh, happy to do it. <laughs> so, all right. So let's let's start with going back in time. Um, you're, you're a CEO now, you're a VC now. Once upon a time, you were a marketing leader. And really, you, at least in my mind, you, you really kind of defined the role of a CMO. And you were the one that I looked up to as I was a marketing leader, seeking guidance on how not only to lead my team, but how to really lead my company's C-suite mm. and how to think about brand, right? So I would love to hear your thoughts. Let's talk about how you blazed that trail and how you not only got the companies that you worked for, but really, at least in my mind, the rest of the world to really think about marketing and brand differently. Like what, let's, let's go back in time to that, to that moment. Yeah. What was that like for you? I think what you're really saying is I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I was I was really fortunate. I think a lot of people who grew up in B2B have this stigma for what like B2B is supposed to be. And you end up in this, I don't know, whatever set of weird habits we have doing webinars and this and that. I was fortunate to grow up in B2C. And um, so I spent my first um, like seven years doing digital marketing at PNG. What a great place to go and learn branding and marketing. And so I was just super lucky in that regard. And then at Coca-Cola, so same thing where I ran uh, their global digital marketing. So just had great training on kind of the fundamentals of marketing, but it wasn't marketing where like the only thing people wanted to know is where's the pipeline. It was like the marketing and like marketing drives those companies. That's like Coke is sugar water and marketing. I mean, that's kind of like what it is. 
Um, and so after the problem was they didn't, they didn't, I, I think it was probably too much of a risk taker uh, for those cultures. I just like to push the envelope. And um, so it was at that time I started using more and more um, B2B marketing software and realized, gosh, there's a lot that could be done here. And it was actually, I guess, a lot of the credit to Salesforce. It was the first um, back when um, Dreamforce was like a little baby event. Um, and I went to that and I was like, wow. It was kind of like when they were doing the no software and, you know, way, way back in the day. And um, so started to think about switching into um, B2B. And um, so, yeah, when I switched in, I, I don't, being a CMO in B2B was not normal. Uh, there, I don't know how many of us there was, but maybe like a dozen. I remember you telling the story that you like told a friend of yours or something that yes. they thought that you were like, you were like chief medical officer. Chief medical like, I thought officer. you were in marketing. Like, yeah, exactly. It was like CMO was not a thing. It yeah. was just not a thing. A few B2C companies had it, but not many in B2B. So most people were pretty sure they were making up a title and I was making up a job. <laughs> we were trying to, maybe some of that was true. So I started off at a company called Web Trends, which did um, web analytics, was kind of early in that category, competing against a company called Omniture. And then uh, shortly into that journey, and I, I had been traveling a lot for these jobs, and then um, got to know a couple of the founders at Exact Target. And they shared with me kind of the story. I was like, I didn't know you they did software in the Midwest. This is pretty cool. And so I got to meet Scott and the founding team uh, pretty early on. And so got to join um, a CMO. So we, we can talk more about it as we go. But I think it's just, I never had the constraints of what marketing was supposed to be, I guess. So it was always just like better understanding consumer behavior, thinking a lot about strategy, and then just just like going for it. Yeah. Well, and, and also, I'm when you faced that, you know, one of the first CMOs in B2B, and I'm sure you're making up your own title, like, you, it sounds like you encountered some doubts and pushback, some naysayers, which is, you know, comes with the territory and marketing. But how did that impact your your vision for the, for the role and what you saw kind yeah. of as the future of marketing at that point? Like, obviously, it didn't stop you. But what, I mean, go, going back in time and what you pushed forward. So was that just confidence? Was it ignorance is bliss? Was there <laughs> some of both? Some of both. I mean, and look, you come in and then you want things to be a certain way. But then I think any CMO who is not attacking their numbers is doing it the wrong way. Um, and so I got in, I had all these wonderful ideas and sales is like, yeah, great, but where's the pipeline? <laughs> but seriously, like, where's the pipeline? What are we going to do? And then the other thing I realized is everybody thinks what's so unique about marketing is everybody thinks they're a marketer and they feel so free to comment on everything you do, good or bad. Yes. So what about the website? What about this piece of copy? Why do we do this? Even the t-shirts. I mean, everybody comments. I mean, can you imagine somebody going into the CFO and like, like it just doesn't work that way. So um, Excel instead of, but you're using Google sheets. Like, are you sure that's the right choice? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't happen. But, That's not a thing. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is with my wiring. I view that as the coolest thing though, because marketing could be everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it really could and should be everything. And so I basically, what I realized to, to survive in this world, you just have to be a ruthless prioritizer. You just have to be very clear on, you can't do it all. There's just no way to attack it all. And so um, I'll talk a little bit about Scott Dorsey who was my first boss as we went through this, but we just stayed in touch all the time. It was just a constant 
game of trade-offs. And I think if I learned one secret weapon through this whole thing, it was befriend your friends and finance. Like get to know your finance team and CFO very well so they believe in the numbers. And so get in the trenches, help them understand the numbers because marketing is the only place, like a CEO now, I realize that you can put in money but then you can kind of throttle it up and down. So if you put money into R&D or engineers, you can't just hire and fire people every three months. But marketing, you can move it. You Like, give me some new money. Let me try some things. And so um, it was just constant experimentation, constant tinkering. But then what I realized, it was all about team. The magic of marketing, you can't just like outsource all of it to an agency. Agencies can be great partners, but it's you have to feel the soul of marketing. And so it got into this whole idea of what I called marketing from the inside out and realized the biggest job that I had was getting all of our employees, getting everybody who was close to our journey to be part of that journey, to jump in that machine and kind of go, go along with us. And um, so that, that's just kind of how I approached it. It was the belief in team people and kind of creating this movement. Yeah. I was going to say too, like how did you literally and figuratively both get marketing a seat at the table. Like there's so much pushback. There's like my life. I've had it. I've, I've been called a cost center. I've been, I've been literally cornered by a sales rep and told like, I make money and you just go spend it. And like, and it, that doesn't really change even as, as you, you rise as a marketing leader to, to literally have a seat at that table and, and be a part of the C-suite. Was it those relationships? Was it, you know, working on those relationships, being close with the CEO, being close with finance, like, if not that, then what was it? Well, you know, it's, and you got to see the tail end of the journey where it was all bought in. In the beginning, it wasn't that way. I mean, I bet the team was like six people. Marketing really didn't have a ton of seat at the table. And um, you have to earn it. Everybody's got to earn it wherever you go. How do you earn trust? You consistently do what you say you're going to do. And not over a period of a week, not a month. It's usually a year or more. So these are the goals. This is what I'm going to do. And it's consistently following through on everything you say you're going to do. So it sounds kind of hokey, but it was, it was, um, it was really a lot of trust. And I I think where most marketers get themselves in trouble is um, their ambition or desire to want to please is greater than what they can actually deliver. And so it was, so you want to sign up for all these things and you end up doing 20 things with 5% of your time and you don't have a breakthrough. There's no no big thing. So it was coming in and then sequencing and then having a lot of discussion with our executive team. Where do you want me to focus first? Like really, what do you, okay. So we're going to focus on the numbers. And I, I think if you can figure out how to come in, that's the thing that is most measurable and not debatable. Mm-hmm. And it helped that I was a finance major too. So I just ah. came in and had a a huge focus on the numbers right out of the bat. And it was like, for every dollar you give me, we're going to give $3 back. If I got to go out and close the deal myself, I'll do it. Like, but it was whatever, whatever it took kind of in the beginning. And, uh, and then I think it was people talked about, I didn't realize branding and demand gen were supposed to be run separate at first. Like I, to me, they're kind of the same thing. And the magic happens when it's the in-between so everything to me was with a demand gen mindset, but in the way that could build the brand the most is you did it. 
So what, and so that's why we did like a big user conference that we called Connections. It's why we did a lot with partners. They were things that built the brand, but they also had financial impact. So it was um, using the word and a lot instead of or. Yeah. Doing this and that and trying to knock out multiple birds with one stone. Okay, I want to go back in time again because um, thinking startup life, right? It's 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 a whole it's a whole vibe. It's a very different thing. But um, you you were CMO at Exact Target when it, and I think I read in some of your notes somewhere, growing from like forty ish million to like four hundred million. Obviously, there was an IPO. There was two point something billion dollar acquisition by Salesforce. But like you said, you we all saw the end of that. So going way back in time, going like to yeah. when, when you had the opportunity to take the role or not, like that was a moment for you. So you didn't know that it was going to end the way that it did. You oh. didn't know, or keep going. I mean, that's still, that ship is still sailing. So when you think back to that interview or that conversation, when that opportunity presented itself, what, what excited you? And let's talk about that first, but then I also want to know kind of what scared you and what, what was scary to you about stepping into that role and like, could you do it? And let's talk about what was exciting first. Well, I think who you work for and who you work with is more important than anything else. So I basically look at who's going to be my boss. Who do I get to work with every day? And can they make me better? Do they believe in me? And can they make me better? So it was fundamentally, I was kind of out to find the best CEO and leader that I could work for, that I could work with and and learn a lot. And a lot of people think it's best, like marketers, I don't want my CEO to know a lot about marketing. But I actually think it's really good. If you have to convince your CEO the value of marketing, that's way harder than having a CEO that's engaged and wants to kind of push, you know, and shove and understand a lot of the, the dynamics of it make you better. So it was really, it was leadership, people, and then it was just chance um, I love what you're doing. I don't know if I'd be any good at it. I don't know if I could do something at that early of a stage, but you kind of find out what you're good at, what you're not good at. And then I found when it got as big as when we got bought by Salesforce, I didn't want to be in a, you know, 50, hundred thousand person org. My sweet spot is finding companies around $25 million and then growing them quickly. That's what I love to do. So I think a lot of times you just have to be really honest with yourself. Like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. And so as odd as it sounds, I think um, if there's a second trick in the whole thing, it's self-awareness and not kidding yourself about it. And then if you're very clear in who you are, um, I just, I always had an ability to attract a team that was better than me. I mean, that that's really what it was. And so the opportunity was big. If you can find a big market and then you can get the best team, you'll win. And then it kind of comes down to some luck and some sequencing and, and a number of other things. What was I worried about? I mean, it was like, I didn't live in Indianapolis, but it was like, okay, you guys want me to move? Okay, if this doesn't work, really, like, what am I going to do? Like, there's nothing else to go do. And, you know, I had uh, two young kids at the time and I was the only income. It was like, it was a big risk um, at the time. Like now it's like, oh yeah, SaaS, it's a, I mean, when we started, it was explaining to people the value of SaaS and like, what do you, what do you mean and how does it work? And um, so it it was um, a big leap of faith. We were primarily selling email to small businesses 
150 people or so in Indianapolis. I mean, that was, it was a pretty big, I think people had thought I maybe lost my mind, but it, it really does come down to leadership and being in a great market. Yeah. If you're not doing something that's at least a little crazy, is it, is it even a Life's too short not to. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, okay. So we've talked about, um, we've talked before, and obviously you were, you were one of my first guests on the podcast that kind of started this whole thing back at Amarsis. Um, and we, we've talked about marketing many, many times before, but one of the reasons I'm most excited to talk this time around is because as we've covered, you're in my mind, it's marketing legend. And many oh. people look up to you as this legendary CMO truly. And now though, obviously you're in the CEO seat and you're CEO at Terminus. And as someone else who's made this leap from marketing leader to CEO on a much different level than you have, I, I want to talk about what that transition has been like for you. And it's, you know, there's there's been a few years between when you were CMO and now CEO, and you've done some pretty cool work yeah. as a VC in between there. And I'm sure that's that's influenced some of this and, and how you're how you're taking yeah. taking this approach. But yeah. let's let's talk about what that's been like because it's it's been cool. <laughs> and it's been like, for me, I think there's a lot of advantages of stepping into this role as a marketer, especially when you're doing, you know, you're living in this world of marketing technology. Yeah. But I'm interested in what it's been like for you. What, what has surprised you in a good way? Um, how has your marketing background served you? What's, what's been your experience so far? I, I mean, look, maybe I'm a little biased, but I speak from experience. I think the, the VPs of marketing and the CMOs of today are best equipped to be the CEOs of tomorrow. It doesn't mean all of them want to be. You, you just have to understand what you want to go do. But why? Because you get to see most of it. Like your job in marketing is being a dot connector. That's, that's so different than any other function. You get to understand the market, pricing, positioning, but you almost have an excuse to do it. You can go out and go do a sales deal, be in a sales call, then go talk to a partner. You have more latitude than you probably do in any of the functions. Um, so connecting dots, and that's, that's really what a CEO has to do. If you can build a team, if you can connect the dots, you can pull it all together. And so I think those parts serve me very well is just understanding markets, customers, what moved the needle. And then we, I, I took a, you know, we took a pretty broad view of marketing at, at, at exact target. We did everything from, you know, helping the company go public to culture to all the things in between. That's the way it should work in my view when marketing's really de- marketing should be the heart and soul of the company that pulls it all together. And that's pretty unique. I don't think any other functions really get to do that. So you you really are equipped to go be a CEO. What, what is different, you can get, you don't ever know everything and every function, but you can get to the point in marketing where you know most of it. And then CEO, it, it actually gets to be pretty humbling because it's hard. Like, how can you be good at product and engineering and accounting and all the different functions? So it, it really becomes more about knowing what questions to ask than it is knowing the answers um, is a big part of it. Continuing to build the team is a big part of it. But um, the weight and responsibility of just keeping, as you feel now, the, the different, like keeping money in the bank, keeping, keeping the company alive, making sure that, you know, you can meet payroll for your people. And so I think the primary job of CEO, as I see it, is the cast vision check. That's kind of the same as marketing. I, I think you should, should be casting vision in both. It's really building a great team 
which is also kind of the, the job that you have in marketing. The other one that that's a little bit different that I, I think all the people on the podcast or all the people who are your guests, I hope go do is go get some finance experience. I'm serious. Like you have to understand a PL, you have to understand how the finances are, you have to understand for every dollar you put in, you have to make really hard choices because you're getting all these things rolled up to you and you can't do it all. Yep. And so understanding. They don't teach you in school. They don't teach you anywhere. Like, how do you manage a board? Like, how do you go and do fundraising? How do you figure out how to, this thing called a cap table where, you know, all, they, they don't teach you any of this stuff. And so as soon as you get the opportunity, whether you have to be an advisor somewhere, ask to read the board decks, whatever you have to do, get your nose bloody on the financial side is, is my biggest piece of advice. And understand fundraising, understand markets, understand how to manage a board, because ultimately, that's who you end up working for is your board and making sure that they have the trust and confidence in you. Um, you you got to know your stuff. You got to know the numbers. That's so true. I 100%. I think that's been, if I had to group it all into one place, people say like, what's the, big, the biggest difference? And to me, it's it's literally spending almost 100% of my time outside of my comfort zone and like learning all the time. But if I had to group what those learnings are, I think the vast majority of it has been finance related or board related or fundraising related. It's all that's, yeah. and that becomes so much of your life. And there's a huge crash course in it. And then, but I think also where marketing comes back to support that learning is, you know, uh, fundraising is presenting, is casting a vision, right? Yeah, um, and working with the board, working with them, like they're an art, an audience, they're your primary audience and, and investors too. And how do I, how do I approach them with information in a way that, that they need? What, what, who is this for? Who am I serving? What do they want to know? What, you know, look at them as an audience and serve them as such. And I know that's, So true. I think the biggest misconception is you think as CEO, you're kind of the boss and you always get to have everything your way. (laughs) Then actually when you run marketing, because in fundraising, you are going to get told no, unless you're just some white hot, you know, exception to the rule. And it doesn't, you're going to get told no more than 90% of the time. The best software companies just no, no, no. It may have nothing to do with you. It may have nothing to do with the company. It may have like most of it is not personal. It's just that's where the time and venture really helped me. It was understanding. No, they're trying to assemble a portfolio and they're looking at different asset allocation to different segments and verticals. They're looking for different niches. And um, you get told no being CEO way more than I thought you would. Like all the time. All the time. (laughs) By your team, by your investors, by the market. Yes. By the world. Almost an impossible job in that way because it's just this constant, um, you have more control of your own destiny in marketing though you don't think you do than you do in CEO, which which is, yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, And you just, you have to also be able to learn to switch gears very quickly to go from a fundraising meeting where you were told no to five minutes later. Now you're in front of, you know, one of the biggest prospects you're going to talk to, but then you're trying to recruit and then trying to recruit somebody right after somebody that you love dearly resigned or, so you have to be able to switch gears and, and sort of, um, compartmentalize better. So I think it really helps like build more of your, your EQ Mm -hmm. And then it kind of gives you some context like, oh, that's why I wasn't allowed to do X, Y, or Z. Or that's So it, it is the ultimate form of um, dot connecting, I think. It is. And that's also something that you don't realize until you're in it. Like, I don't think anybody could have told me that. 
I think people who are listening now who are in this seat or have been in this position are like, they're not even heads right along with us, but like, those who are thinking about it or like trying to relate, they're like, hmm, I wonder, because nobody can tell you, like, unless I walked you through my day and I'm sure yours is the same. It's like, okay, well, I started my day with this. And then you add personal life around it. It's like, well, yes. first, especially now and what we've all been through and how our personal life is so intertwined with work now. It's like, well, first I did this and then I did this completely other thing. And then I had to go change my clothes because I had to go present this other thing. <laughs> and then I had to come back and change my clothes again. It's just like literally changing yeah. You know, it's it's being a shapeshifter, um, but also still being true to who you are and being true to the brand, so that you know you have that human connection. So it's it's true. All that said, how do you think your team, which we have the pleasure of working with, and we love them, and they love you, they love working for a, a marketer, you know, CMO turned CEO. And so, how how do you think your team benefits? Or, or maybe not. Like, what, sometimes what you, not. Right. Yeah. Sometimes not. But what do you what do you think that your team's experience is um, because of your background? Well, I think in our case it helps. Like, we're you know, I'm not um, selling government tax software. We're selling software to other marketers, and so being the ultimate persona that bought and sold a lot, I think it's kind of just the understanding, the empathy for our buyer is probably a lot of it. Um, understanding the secret weapon that kind of marketing can be when it when it's all working, um, but then may, maybe the problem is sometimes you the world change. There's a lot of things you might think you know, right? And then like just because it was that way, I mean, particularly when you put COVID and the backdrop of all the things that have happened in the world over the last 18 months, it's this. Sometimes your mind can trick you into like thinking you know more than you actually do. So it's actually like trying to continue to bring that beginner's mindset, I think is one of the, one of the hardest things. But I, I would say um, just having a sneaky gut sense about the market, how to put together the pieces, what's going to work, what isn't going to work, and just kind of some of the instincts from having been the buyer in that, what they probably don't like is the same thing. Sometimes maybe I know too much and, you know, like where some things are hidden and what about this? And it's the constant like poking. And so finding that the thing I'm still working on is what's the right level of detail. Cause I love getting into the detail of a competitive session or a deal or working with a customer, but then also rising back up. And so it's just kind of that combination of breadth and depth. And so on my most stressful days, I probably have the tendency to wander, you know, straight back into the detail. Cause I, I just, I love it. Well, that's, and there's a, there's a fine, one thing I found, there's a fine line between staying involved and staying engaged and being available and getting into the details with your team and accidentally parachuting in like, and being yes. like, wait, what's happening? Somebody yeah. tell me what's going on. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, you it's, weren't really invited. So yeah, it's like, thing. I think we're good. <laughs> so right. Why are you changing everything? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I try to, I try to do the best I can with, um, I, I think I I do have a ton of empathy still for what the job looks like because I've I've lived it and I, I know how hard it can be. So I think if there's one thing that the team would appreciate, it's the empathy for what it looks like. Every scale, every stage is is hard. It's different, but um, man, high high growth and kind of the the overall environment that we're in right now or low growth, any of it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard running a, running a technology company in a super fluid environment is like double crazy. Wait, you're having a hard time. This has been super easy for us. Like this is, this has just been. Just, <laughs> well, this has been, yeah. This, this conversation has been, so easy. been yeah. the easiest part <laughs> this of my part's day. Great. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So you mentioned one where you said instinct. Um, and that's one thing that I am told a lot and I'm reminded to do a lot, which is look, you, you know, more than you think, you know, this company. And I was told the same thing when I, when I had, you know, my first child, it was like you, you regardless of what, what information yeah. you get, regardless of what advice you get, take it, right. consume it, decide what you're going to say. Thank you. Not for me. And remember that you are the one who knows that business literally better than anybody else. And so I, but that said, I mean, there's, there is a lot to be said about going to trusted advisors, reading the books, listening to the podcast. So how, talk to me about gut, gut versus science and, and how much you, how much of what you do now is instinct because instinct is data. It's, it's a lifetime of, of data all put together and your brain is the computer. So What's that like for you? How much do you think I know. you touch? I can't, I can't tell which one. What I can tell you is um, you continue to more finely tune your gut over time. You know, you just you know, trial and error, make a mistake, make a mistake. And it's just, um, I would say that my, it, it, in the end, it, you don't have time to wait on data is the problem. Mm-hmm. The world is moving too fast. So whether it's like making a hire, that's a big one. Like, yeah. What, how can you possibly get enough? You could do 22 reference calls, but it, it's really going to come down to your gut. Right. And um, so I think gut is more important than ever. And the times that things have failed or not gone the way I've wanted, I look back and say, dang, I just, I didn't listen to my gut. The way I, I knew this, this was the way it was going to go. And whether it was, you know, hiring somebody, whether it was not letting somebody go in time, whether it was, uh, idea for a marketing campaign, whatever it is, it your gut. The more you finally tune it, it really does work. But I think um, the key to that is still trying to have um, some self awareness about what you're good at and what you're not good at. So there's some areas I need a lot of advice. You know, how how do we want to raise debt and what what should our debt facility and debt? I'll, I'll listen to all kinds of advice on that because I, I don't know. There's other. It's pattern recognition, Lindsay, is what it really comes. So the more things that you can expose yourself to, the more quickly, the better. And so I have just become a huge believer in both like context and curiosity. And the more that you understand um, how your boss is doing their job and what's on their mind, I think it can really serve you well. So, and I, I've now come to appreciate the, the value of just like what goes into a board meeting, but then realizing your board members, with all due respect, any of them are listed, they don't know any better than you. They really don't. They just have their own advice and perspective. So you just have to become a master filter. Um, you, you have to just listen to a lot of different opinions. Yes, I love the podcast. Yes, I love the books. Yeah, Nothing beats just like being in a street fight and learning, you know, <laughs> just, just getting into it and then uh, being around other people that you enjoy being with. But it, I think it is, I think God is 80% of it. I would agree. And, and communication, it's really this role. What I'm finding is it's, it's gut and communication. And especially being when you're in the CEO seat, no, like people don't know what you don't tell them. You're talking about your board. Literally, they won't know unless you tell them and, or if they find out, which is not a great way for anybody to find out anything, but like, sure, there's the numbers, but they won't, they don't know the, the, the win or the story or why you hired this person or what your challenges are or what you're excited about or why you're dealing with this thing, literally, unless you say it. And so, do you get right? so, I have a question for you back. Do you get so tired of repeating yourself? Because it feels like you, you have to, 
it's like, oh, I've said this before. And it's like, no, you can't say it enough. Like you yes. said this one group in this one standup like two yes. weeks ago. Like, Especially right. when you're hiring. Right. I mean, we're growing like crazy. And it's so funny because somebody um, wanted me to like actually put a meeting on my calendar and put casted story. And I was like, okay. So we talked and she's like, yeah, will you tell me how the company got started? Like, how did, how, why did you do it? And I was like, really? Okay. And literally it's like, I, yeah, I've said this probably a thousand 10,000 times and right. that person had literally never heard it. And so yeah, it is, it is. And I think that's another, another area where marketing comes in handy because we know it once you're living it and you, you're saying the same story a billion times or talking through a message, or there's something that, you know, the team needs to know. And literally you have to say it 56 times before it even starts to land. And we know that as marketers and, uh, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's sometimes it, that, that is what limits your speed more than anything. Sometimes you know exactly what to go do, but how can you communicate it fast enough with enough people that kind of builds the shared context for what's in your mind to be able to go do that? And it's, uh, you're right. When marketing is done well, it is, it, it's just like a huge um, tailwind that makes, it's just like the jet stream and everybody's in it. They understand it. There's a con and there's not the constant questioning of things, but um, yeah, it's just the constant repetition and getting everybody on the same page because um, I've two things I've always felt about marketing is um, both messaging and branding leak. So if you're off, the reason people are so prescriptive, like why does it have to be that Pantone color or like we'd throw away a batch of t-shirts if it wasn't exactly the right orange. Because if you did that enough times, well, then that orange can be slightly like this orange. Well, that next thing you know, it's like yellow. No, it can't be yellow. So things it, things leak. So you just, you, that's why you have to be so precise. And then if there's one other trap I can see, um, me or other marketers falling into it's changing things too. We get bored with things before anybody else does because, because we, we keep repeating it a billion it. times. But you got to stick with it. Like yes. there's not a great company that changes. Well, Google did with Alphabet, but they. But you can't keep changing. Uh, you know everything all the time. So you have to stay fresh. You have to stay current. But if you're changing things all the time, you you don't have the consistency. Yep, and you're giving people whiplash. You know, inside right. and out. Okay. So before I let you go, there's yes. there's people all, you know, all different levels, let's just assume that are that are listening. But let's let's again go way back in time to, you know, those kind of early in there, early new marketing leader that's facing naysayers that, you know, trying to get a seat at the table, pushing to be a priority, pushing for like, hey, brand needs to be a priority. Um, what would you leave them with? Yeah, I would say, I mean, look, I, what's so funny about, and I appreciate your kind, kind comments on, on marketing, like, um, I grew up in a super middle-class at best neighborhood in Cincinnati. I wasn't the Ivy League guy, barely grinded my way into UC, worked at University of Cincinnati, worked the whole, whole way through. I think a lot of this is just grind. It is just grind and consistency and persistence. And um, and you have to have, uh, I call it um, this, this blend of humble confidence. And, it, and it's really, you can find people get knocked down too quickly and start feeling sorry for themselves. Or you can find people who are just way overly confident. And so trying to find, I, I, I've just come to believe the more I'm in it, like you just stay in the fight and you just, you just keep 
working. You just keep working through it. Even the success stories that we've talked about with Exact Target or what, there's, or even Salesforce. Look at the number of failed acquisitions, the fails of Chatter is what they had to do before they got onto Slack, right? You remember Chatter and the little oh, chattering? Yes. yes. That didn't work. And that's okay. You stick with, they had the right idea. It was just early. And so you just stick with it. And then it ended up being Slack. So I think um, the quality of team that you're with is everything would be the first thing I'd say. The second thing is just stay in the grind, stay in the fight, stay with people who make you sane, your your family, your friends, hopefully your coworkers and staying sane and taking care of yourself is a big part of the battle. And then it's just this humble confidence. It's just the complete blend of curiosity, always working on things. But I think um, if there's one word that is not fully understood, it's it's empathy. Understanding that, you know, if an investor says no, there might be a reason. If a customer says no, there might be a reason. But trying to put yourself, we forget about the customer, yourself in the mind of the buyer. And, and at the end of the day, most markets are fairly rational. Why are they buying? Why are they not buying? Why did they fire you? What? And so just having constant empathy for, um, for your people, your customers, for everybody who's around you. And then I, I think that's where the heart and soul of marketing and leadership really comes from is, is empathy. Yeah, great. It's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much, Tim. This was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, you bet. You're wonderful. Keep doing the great work and thanks for having me. There you have it, another episode of Casting a Vision. Check out Tim's blog that started it all, as well as links to other related content, other episodes of this show on the show page, which you can all find in our related resources. And if you like the show, consider sharing a takeaway with a friend. And I would love to know who else you would like to hear from as a guest. Thanks for watching. <laughs>